Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. Luke 15. I want you to uh, um, think for a moment on this question. What do you think God is like? What is God like? I want every one of you here, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, just to take a moment to, to think about the first few words or phrases that come to mind uh, in answer to that question. Just 10 seconds, 15 seconds, think about the first few words or phrases that come to mind in response to the question, what is, what is God like? Maybe some of you here think he's something like the Greek gods that were depicted recently in that great movie, Wonder Woman, uh, that was launched last year. But uh, we, uh, in that movie, the gods were portrayed as kind of exalted or elevated versions of ourselves. They were uh, imperfect, they were unpredictable, they were petulant, and so they had to be treated with incredible suspicion. Maybe some of you here think of God as a Victorian-era school headmaster or school principal with a cane in his hand and a finger in your face telling you what you can or can't do, and certainly it's not allowed to be anything that's going to allow you to have any fun whatsoever. Maybe some of you here think of God as something like an impersonal spirit or force, something like the description that um, Luke Skywalker gave uh, to Ray in, in, the, in the Star Wars movie recently when he described the force as the energy between all things, a tension, a balance that binds the universe together. Maybe some of you think of God as an absentee landlord, someone who has created the heavens and the earth, created you and I in it, but has left us and the world to kind of live out our life until our inevitable end. And he knows the pain that we're in, he knows the struggles that we face, but he's really indifferent to, to stepping in and doing anything to help at all. Maybe some of you here agree with uh, atheist Richard Dawkins, who describes God quite shockingly as the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Maybe, maybe some of you here, certainly those of you who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe some of you here think God is somewhat schizophrenic. He's either full of wrath or he's in, incredibly gracious. You can't reconcile your understanding of the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New. I've actually heard uh, uh, last year someone at church in the city, I overheard someone at church in the city say, don't read the Old Testament because God is not like that anymore. The good news that I have to share today is the God of the Bible is not like any of those gods. The God of the Bible, the Christian view that, that answers the question, what is God like, is based on two fundamental truths. The first truth is this, is that God is perfectly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know who, what God is like, you look to Jesus. And when you do so, you can do, with, you can do that with confidence, knowing that there's no hidden God behind Jesus. Jesus is not the nice and approachable veneer, but behind Jesus is this ogre-like figure that is the actual real God. I think this question of what is God like is, is such an important question for, for everyone to ask, but especially for the believer as well, because often what we say we believe about God and the way we functionally, functionally live out that conviction is often different. I mentioned the fact that some Christians think that the Old Testament God is very different to the, you know, to the New Testament God. We, we think in our minds, you know, we, oh my goodness, God has matured so much over the years, you know. <laughs> But I think the actual reality, the actual thing that we struggle with is that we can't seem to reconcile the, our, the, the, our understanding of Jesus with our understanding of the Heavenly Father. Jesus is approachable. The Heavenly Father, maybe not so much. 
he seems less patient, less gracious, less compassionate, less understanding. He's, he's loving, but he, he's a little sterner and a little angrier. Jesus would say yes to pretty much anything we ask, but the Father, not so much. In fact, we probably think the Father would scold us for even asking the question. I think this is the reality of the imperfection of our earthly fathers. I know every one of us here has experienced the imperfection of earthly fathers. And unfortunately, what we do to our heavenly father is we take the, the pain and the hurt and the struggle and, 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 and the imperfection of our earthly fathers or those in authority and we, we smear them upon the image of our, of our heavenly father. But the Bible teaches, the good news is, the Bible teaches there is no God in heaven but the God like Jesus. John 14 says, Jesus says to Philip's question, show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is God like? God is, God is revealed perfectly in the person of Jesus. But the second fundamental truth about what God is like is the fact that the most foundational reality about God is not some abstract quality, but the fact that he is Father. Exodus tells us that the Lord calls Israel his firstborn son. In Deuteronomy, it says he carries his people as a father carries his son. In Psalms, he's described as the father who has compassion on his children. In Isaiah, the prophet says, you, O Lord, are our father. And in Matthew, Jesus teaches us to pray, our father in heaven. This truth of, of God being Father is, is, is emphasized over and over again throughout Scripture. But for me, none as clearly as in John 17 when Jesus is praying and he makes this incredible statement. He says, this is, this is what Jesus prays, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. So many of us view God as king or, or as creator, but before he was any of those, he was a father loving his son. God created as a father. God rules as a father. God's love is perfectly displayed in his fatherliness to his son, Jesus. And Jesus carries on in, in, in John 17, and he goes on to say, you have loved them, you've loved us, just as you've loved me. So, so God loves us as father in the same perfect, pure, powerful way in which he loves Jesus. Now, I know all that I've just said in the last two minutes has some very profound and significant implications for every single person sitting here. No one can deny the, the impact, positive or negative, that our earthly fathers have had in our lives. They've left a mark. Sometimes good, sometimes not so much. We view our Heavenly Father, unfortunately, through the lens of the hurt and pain that we've struggled with, with our earthly fathers. I know my, my earthly father, my father passed away four years ago. I know he loved me, but he wasn't able to express it. He wasn't able to show it. So my understanding of his love was always intellectual or, or abstract. And that's been my struggle with the Heavenly Father. Jesus, I get Jesus, I understand, but my heavenly father, his love for me, I knew intellectually, but I struggled with in, a, in, in an experiential manner. 
But in my life, and perhaps with some of you, there's probably been a moment or two where, where something's happened with your earthly father that has shaped the way you see your heavenly father. I remember so distinctly when I was five years old, sitting in the back seat of our car that was parked, and my father was in the front seat. And this dump truck started to back up towards my father's car. And it got closer and closer and closer. And my father wasn't doing anything. And I sat on the back seat absolutely paralyzed with fear and also amazed at five years old, amazed that my father wasn't getting out or honking his horn or doing something. And this truck backed up and started to crumple the hood of the car. And eventually it actually cracked the windshield. And my father just sat there doing absolutely nothing. And it stopped eventually probably three or four inches from his face. And it left a scar in my heart, thinking that my heavenly father would be something like my earthly father. If ever I got myself into a life-threatening situation, that my heavenly father would be paralyzed to actually do anything. Having said all that, I believe today that what I'm going to teach about our heavenly father being good and gracious and loving and kind and merciful is indeed Good news. Like me, some of you might struggle with understanding the Heavenly Father. Jesus you get, but the Heavenly Father not so much. So I want to say, as best as you are able, whenever you read truths or scripture about Jesus, you need to remind yourself, you need to be disciplined to remind yourself that that is describing Jesus as well. Sorry, that is describing your Heavenly Father as well. So you can know that your heavenly father knows you. He knows you intimately. He knows you deeply. He knows you personally. He created you. He formed you. He heals you. He sees you. He feeds you. He gives you his spirit without measure. He grieves over your hardship and your struggle. He humbles himself just like Jesus did. And, and as we learned last week, to, to, to wash our feet and, and to be like that shepherd who leaves the 99 to come after us. Your heavenly father can be trusted. Your heavenly father listens. He knows you. He cares for you. He loves you. He is the God who is love, who is so full of life and blessing that for all eternity, he has been overflowing with it. He is the fountainhead of all goodness and truth and beauty. God the father is not created in the image of your earthly father. Even the good ones. And, he is, and, 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 the true, and, and, and the true reflection of your heavenly father is not found in your earthly father. Your heavenly father is eternal. He is eternally happy. He's joyful. He loves you. He is the abundance of creativity and justice and hope and redemption and rescue and purpose and meaning. Do you know the truth is that I take my father's breath away? I am his treasured possession, and I can say that with absolute confidence, without putting, making that any less true of any of you in this room. That's the truth of who my father is and what the Bible teaches about my heavenly father. That's the reality that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 15. That's the father I hope that you will come to know. Maybe some of you for the very first time today, but for everyone else, I hope it'll be a deeper revelation and an understanding of our heavenly father. So this is part two of our Luke series, Luke chapter 15. I did mention to my wife, I asked her for some feedback on my sermon last week, and she said, I do tend to take a little bit long to introduce the subject, but I've intentionally done that today. So 
you will see where I'm going with this. I haven't ignored my wife's uh, uh, insight into, into my preaching. But Luke 15 is this incredible parable that Jesus tells the Pharisees. And we're discovering this reality, this truth about the song that we sang earlier on, this reckless love of God. Last week, I spent time introducing this concept of God's reckless love by looking at the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. By saying that God's love is reckless, we're not by any means saying God is reckless. We're saying his love is reckless. His love is risky. God takes the initiative to love us without the guarantee of any reciprocal response from us. It's God taking the illogical, almost risky, kind of a truth that we can't understand, taking the risk to leave the 99 to come after the one. And, and in my heart, last week, I remember thinking, that sounds ridiculous, but it doesn't sound ridiculous if you are the one sheep that God needs to come after. God's love is risky. God's love is reckless. And last week, we learned about how Jesus defines our identity in this reckless love of God, and and he describes our worth and value to him. And once we've established our identity and worth, we're able to discover our God-given destiny, which is we are found in order to find others, in order to help others discover that, that they are just as loved as we are. Next week, Aidan is going to preach on the older brother. And he's going to look particularly at this reality of of a hardened heart towards our heavenly father will cause us to express a hardened and indifferent heart to one another, even to younger sons or younger daughters who are coming back home to be with our heavenly father. But today we're going to look at the section of Luke chapter 15 that deals with the relationship of the younger son with the heavenly father. I've called this morning's sermon the parable of the father who lost his son. Mark Twain once famously said that familiarity breeds contempt and children, which I love. I love that quote. I really do. <laughs> I think the challenge, that we, the challenge that we find in preaching out of Luke chapter 15 is for many of us sitting here in the room, Luke 15 is such a familiar text. And I think sometimes when we come to a text that is so familiar, we can, we can uh, uh, start to kind of miss out on the, on the amazement and the, and the shock and, and almost the horror that, that the, the original hearers would have expressed in hearing this particular truth that Jesus is teaching. Just like as what happens in, in, in our world, culture and religion uh, in, in this time had defined the way that the people of God were meant to relate to him. Culture and, and religion was personified through the Pharisees that Jesus is, is addressing in this particular parable. And their understand, they had basically answered the question, who is God? The Pharisees were the moralists. They defined sin as, as breaking the rules of God. Just as an aside, and we'll probably pick up on this next week, but it's, just as pos- it's possible to be just as far away from God by breaking the rules as it is by keeping the rules. The Pharisees define God something like an accountant. He's fair, he's measured, he's calculated, he rewards, though not too generously, he rewards good behavior, but he's very stern with bad behavior. That's not the Jesus, that's not the the father that Jesus paints in Luke chapter 15. Let's read together from verse 11. The text should come up behind me. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, settled for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth 
in, in wild living. Did I read, did I miss out verse? Did I? Okay. Can I start again? Because it feels like it just didn't flow well. So I, 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 need, to, I need to feel this. This is, a, this is a feeling sermon. I need to feel this. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. It feels like deja vu. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they began to celebrate. We all know the power, power of contrasts. The, the fact that we all love the Chicago summers is in large part because of how harsh and difficult the winters actually are. This is our 14th, I think 13th or 14th winter, and this year just seems particularly hard. I am so looking forward to, to all that, that summer brings. This, this idea of, of, of contrast is the very thing Jesus is doing in trying to get the Pharisees out of their paradigms and, and mindsets on how they should relate to God. He's describing not just the shocking behavior of the son, but the even more shocking, even more surprising behavior of the father. He tells this parable of a younger son who goes to his father and he demands his inheritance, which at first reading might seem somewhat innocuous, but when we understand Jewish culture, it is an incredibly shocking thing to do. In Jewish culture, it was very clear, the hierarchy when it came to sons, the the younger son was very much underneath the older brother. And when it came to an inheritance, the younger son only ever inherited probably a third, but sometimes even less than that, only after the older brother had received all that was due to him. But most shockingly is an inheritance only was ever given when the father was dead. And that's not the case here. You see, the, son, the younger son is not asking for an advance on his allowance. He's not asking for a loan. He's literally going to the father and he's saying, Father, I want everything that I know only you can give me, but I want nothing to do with you. I want the blessing that you can give, but I don't want relationship. I wish you were dead. Now, when the hearers heard this, I'm pretty sure that they expected Jesus to continue with the story that the father severely rebuked the younger son, but that's not what happened. He says that the father willingly gave in or gave the son's request. We have to understand that that would have been at incredible personal cost to the father. 
he would have to face incredible shame in the community that, that he was in. He would have to liquidate a portion of his estate by probably selling it to a neighbor and then having to explain the story of how his son has disgraced his name by demanding his inheritance early. But he does that with a broken heart. And the younger son goes off to a foreign country and very quickly squanders his newfound wealth finds himself in such a place of despair and desperation that this young Jewish boy eventually is having to feed pigs in order to survive. Amazingly, though, he comes to his senses. He realizes that although he's out of position, although he's acting and behaving like a slave, he still is his father's son. And he thinks to himself, well, let me go back. Let me, let me see if I can negotiate with my father. Let me see if I can prove myself to my father once again. And so nervously, he begins the journey back to his father. I don't know how that part of this parable applies to you, but I know it does. I know it does because every single one of us, including ourselves, has this tendency towards independence. This tendency for some reason to want to prove that we can do it alone. This, 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 this desire within us to be self-reliant over God-reliant. This, this, this desire at times even to, to want what God can give us, but not prepared to put in the, 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 the time that is, that, is, that is required in order to cultivate a close and intimate relationship. We put ourselves out of position. Maybe you've walked away from the Father. Maybe you've simply just ignored something that the Father has prompted or is calling you to do. I remember this applying so significantly to me a couple months ago. Most of you sitting here know the journey that we're on as a church looking for our own facility that we can call home. And towards the kind of end of last year, there was an opportunity before us, and I was, I was crying out to the Father, Father, speak to me about the building. Speak to me about the building. I need to hear you about the building. And the more I prayed that prayer, the quieter it seemed to get. Week after week after week, I was crying, Father, speak to me about the building, and I would hear nothing. And eventually, I found myself in a foreign country, far away. I was actually in Canada. I know it's not very far, but it (laughs) kind of goes along with the story. I was in a country far away. I was lonely. I was in a hotel room. My wife had just left the day before to come back home, and I was doing a ministry trip in Canada. It was the first weekend of November, I think it was. The first snowfall had just fallen. I was crying out to the Father, Father, speak to me, speak to me. I need to hear about the building. And I heard this, I had this sense in my heart, the Father said this to me, do you want answers or do you want intimacy? Do you want answers or do you want intimacy? And I realized in that moment that I had become just like this younger son. I wanted answers from God. I wanted all that God could give me, but I didn't want the intimacy that came with that. And I remember just falling on my knees and crying out to my heavenly father, coming back to him and saying, Father, forgive me. And literally, God, in that moment and for weeks to come, began to speak to me about where he was taking us regarding the building. I love verse 20 through 24. And I want to just read those verses again, but I want to read them from the message paraphrase that Eugene Peterson writes. He says this, the son got up and went to his father, but While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart was pounding. He ran out to him. He embraced him and he kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. 
But the father wasn't listening. I love that. The father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead, and now he's alive. Given up for lost, and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. This is not the story of a rebellious son. This is a story of a father's heart. He's the father who longed for his son. A father who, who saw his son when he, was, when he was far off. Every day, I picture the father going out to the edge of the field and looking. Is today the day? Could today be the day that my boy comes home? Is this the day? Could this be the day? The anticipation, the excitement in his heart that today could be the day? You see, friends, this is a truth we've got to understand. The fact that the son was lost does not in any way diminish his value to the, son, to the, you know, to the father. That's the tr- one of the most important truths Jesus is trying to emphasize through the parable of the sheep and the coin and the lost son. That irrespective of our nearness or closeness to God, we are just as valued. I have a wallet in my pocket and in it is a $5, $5 bill. What is the value of, a, of this $5 bill? $5. If this $5 bill had to go through... Uh, 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 my pockets and a pair of jeans. I had to go through the washing machine and then the dryer and it was all crumpled up like this in my pocket. What is the value of the $5 bill? Still $5. If I thought the $5 was in my wallet, but in fact I had lost it somewhere, what is the value of the lost $5 bill? It's still $5. And that's the point Jesus is trying to make through all of this. Irrespective of what you've been through or what you haven't been through, you are just as valued to the Father. Irrespective of your closeness or your nearness, you are just as valued to the Father. And that's true for every person sitting in this room, as well as it is true for someone who is waking up in some stranger's apartment right now and getting ready to go home after a night of partying. Just as valued to the Father. He's the Father. It's, Jesus tells us about the Father whose heart broke for his son. The father didn't stand back and fold his arms and say to himself, well, let me think, let me hear this. Let me hear what the son has to say. He's the father who ran to his son. Let me tell you, the, the, the cultural implications of this are, are significant. Generally, wealthy Middle Eastern fathers didn't hitch up their tunics and run. But that's what Jesus describes the father doing, hitching up his tunic, jumping over the hedge, cutting across the field, Not because he knew it was his son. He thought it was the son. Is that my boy? I'm not sure. I seem to recognize his walk. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to be reckless. I'm going to go and meet him just in case it is my boy. He's the father who lavished his son with love. He was undignified. He was unmeasured. He, he, He was reckless. He didn't wait for his son to clean himself up. Remember, his son was coming back from a foreign country that was in the grip of a famine, and he had spent time feeding pigs. And the father didn't wait for his son to clean himself up. He jumped on him, and he kissed him over and over again. The son couldn't even recite his speech that he had prepared because he's the father who silences his son. The father wasn't listening. The father wasn't wanting to negotiate. The father just said, no, no, quick, quick. Servants, bring the clean clothes. My son is back. My son is home. 
He's the father who restores his son. His boy was his son, not a slave, and he wanted him to know that. He said to him, let's put, let's put sandals on your feet. That speaks of restoration. Let's put robes over you. Speaks of, 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 of the covering of the father. Let's put a ring on your finger. Speaks of authority. Immediately, without negotiation, without having to earn his way back, he immediately clothed him and restored him completely in that moment. And when I read that truth, and I'm sure some of you are thinking the same thing, the older brother rises up within me. And says, but, but, what about, what about? That's the reckless love of God. That's the reckless love of the father. He's the father who celebrates his son's return. The sheep was lost because of of foolishness. The coin was lost because of carelessness. The son is lost because of willfulness. But one thing is common amongst all three parables. There is celebration in heaven when they come back. Think about how many people are coming back to the Father on a continual basis and think how, how, how much celebrating must be going on in heaven. It's not the occasional golf round of applause. It is a raucous celebration as people every second of the day are coming back in various ways, shapes, and forms back to the Father. What is God like? I asked that question earlier on. What is God like? Jesus is not telling us that God is like a Father. He's not telling us that God is like the Father, or he's not telling us that Jesus, that, that God is like his Father. He's telling us that for those of us who are in Jesus, God is your Father. God is your Father. Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father in heaven. All the other stuff of your kingdom come, your will be done, is meaningless outside of the revelation of God is our Father. Romans chapter 8 tells us we are baptized with the spirit of adoption. By the spirit of adoption, we can cry out, Abba, Father. The sense of amazement that I am a son or daughter of the heavenly Father. In Isaiah 49, God tells Isaiah, God speaks to Isaiah, and he says, what a, he uses this description, he says, would a, would a nursing mother look down on the baby at her breast and forget its name? No. And then God says, even if she could, I will never forget you because I've engraved you in the palm of my hand. That's our father. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, he says, he says, see what great love the father has lavished on us. That's such a poor translation with all due respect to the translators and I'm not suggesting that I'm any better. But see what, see what great love, the, 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 the original Greek means this, what country is that love from? <laughs> Meaning the love of the father is, is so otherworldly. See what, what, what country, what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Don't try to define the love of God. Don't try to compare the love of God. The way to know the love of God is to experience the love of God. And the way to do that is to go to the source. Go to the Father. Some of you here today don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Some of you here today don't know this Father's love. And I want to challenge you. I want to invite you. I want to say that today is the day for you to find your true home. It's possible because we have a very different older brother than the one we're going to learn about next week. 
The older brother that we have, Jesus, is the one who paid the ultimate price and celebrates when we return to him. Jill, do you want to come up so long quickly? Some of you here already know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want to say to you, I feel like God would say, today is the day to come home. Some of you have run from God dramatically. Some of you less dramatically, but still as significant. You've allowed areas in your heart to be closed off to the Father. I don't care why. I don't care how long. I don't care for what reasons. But I want to say, today is the day for you to come home. And then I want to suggest that for every single one of us, today is the day for us to catch the Father's heart. Today is the day for us to help others come home, to long for them like the Father does, to go to the edges of culture and our city and to go and look for them, for our hearts to break for them, for us to run to them, to embrace them, to kiss them, to silence them when they try and explain what they've done wrong, to point them to the Father and to celebrate with them when they come back to know him as Lord and Savior. I thought it would be amazing for us this morning not to necessarily respond specifically to any one thing that I've said right now, but I've asked Jill to prepare a song that she's gonna sing over us the words are going to be on the screen behind me. And if you want to, where you are seated, you can sing along softly. But I want this to be an opportunity for us as a church family, those of you who are visiting, to experience the love of the Father this morning. The song she's singing is called Draw Me Closer. And I love, I love the lines in the draw me a little closer, take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. So I'm going to ask Jill to sing over us. Just stay seated where you are. Close your eyes. Sing along quietly if you want to. But allow the love of the Father to wash over you. To call you home. Surrender yourself to Him this morning. Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.